0: Consequence Podcast Network.
1: I would like to propose a toast. It's good news. Clint, Mm -hmm. you're going to be so excited about this. Yeah.
2: What's up?
1: Guess what recently canceled show just got revived by being picked up by another network. No, it's not. It is. It's The Expanse. Oh, fuck. No, I'm sorry. What? Oh, shit. Glenn. I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> what? Why would you play oh, with no.
2: my heart
3: like I'm this? I'm so
1: sorry. It's it's, it's Brooklyn 99. <laughs> I, just... I was going to, and see, I was going to make a joke and say the last man on earth, and then the big reveal is it was actually Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh-huh. but I didn't realize I was going to... I'm so sorry. Those aren't real tears. <laughs> I just this? saw you put teardrops in your
2: eyes. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> teardrops least, don't sound teardrop- like that when <laughs> you open you know, it It's very line, creaky. It's an old metal... Canister you know, I of
1: teardrops. I am sorry that I was right. tearing up your heart like a Backstreet Boy. Oh, thank you. But, you know, no, don't know, these bands could man. get picked up. Maybe. I mean, I'm happy that Brooklyn but, Nine-Nine's good, but... Yeah, Brooklyn but... Nine-Nine, going to NBC. Yeah. That's great news.
2: Yeah. Last
1: Man on Earth. Not so great news. Last
2: season on Earth. Oh,
1: let's hope. Hey, cheers. Yeah. And this, with open <laughs> cans, no less.
2: These We just clinked our cans it, and they, they make went, no sounds. They went...
3: Welcome to TV party. I'm Alison Shoemaker, and I'm
2: still upset that the expense. Oh, fuck is you! Just say your goddamn.
0: If- I'm Clint Worthington. Fine. <laughs>
1: And sitting to my right, regular contributor,
0: Dominic Suzanne Mayer.
1: And uh, so we're going to be talking about wrestling in Atlanta today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which actually we are, yeah.
0: obliquely. A little bit.
1: Indirectly, some of it. It is a really big week for television, though not as big as next week because we are heading right into Upfronts, which means that this week is um, the dumping ground of the rotting corpses of TV shows that aren't going to be How continuing another you. year. I'm so sorry. I mean, I have losses too.
2: We all we all hey, we You know what else it. got cancelled? What? Deception. It vanished. But will it reappear somewhere else? Perhaps no. in Times Square? No.
1: Nope. It will not. So we're gonna talk about cancellations. We are gonna save for the most part, with two exceptions, which mm-hmm. we already mentioned, uh, renewals and new series pickups for next week, so that we can get on to what we're actually talking about this week, which is our summer TV preview. Woohoo! Ooh. used to be that summer was really boring for TV and not anymore yeah. I mean that's been true the last couple of years but this year seems especially intense
2: yeah very very much so
1: so uh, let's talk about these cancellations shall we
2: yeah
1: um I'm going to I'm gonna do a, a couple of, of highlights, a couple of surprises, and then we're just going to go through everything that in the last three or four days has gotten the ax. So this won't include stuff that was canceled earlier in the year, like ABC's The Mayor, which is too bad. I kind of dug that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to include stuff that was already ending, um, anything like that. We are just going to go with stuff yeah. that was announced in the last week or so. Um, so some highlights. Uh, in a twist that surprised absolutely no one, <laughs> ABC pulled the plug. On what might be the worst television show I have ever seen,
2: <laughs> Marvel's Inhumans. Yeah, it was about time. Well, people are saying like this is the first thing from Marvel to get canceled. I'm like, no, we had Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. Like, people forgot about Agent Carter already, which is a shame. I know and a sham.
1: If they cancel Inhumans twice, mm-hmm. can we get a third season of Agent Carter? Do you yeah, think? why not? Because I would, tra- I would make that trade.
0: That's how it works, right? They have to cancel it in IMAX the second time. Yes. <laughs> We've heard people into watch an empty screen for 60 minutes. If they
1: cancel Iron Fist, could we get another season of Asian? Carter? Yeah, that money can go somewhere. Something. Anyway, yeah, well. um, so that was that was a not surprise, but something that was cheered by me. Mm-hmm. Um, in news that will probably not surprise anyone listening, NBC chose to axe Rise.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
1: so it's um, a spring unawakening, a s- I
2: guess. A spring nap.
1: A spring nap. A spring long
3: goodbye. (laughs) A spring
2: slumber. A
3: spring slumber. Well, you
2: know, that show was uh, totally hosed from the uh, the first season, right?
3: Oh, boy. Fun fact, I
2: haven't watched the finale yet, but Allison has, and I was uh, talking to her about the fact that uh, we haven't talked about this in the show, but um, at this point in the Rise storyline, they've decided to um, butcher Spring Awakening by making it PG. You would ask me, like, Guess what happens? And yeah, I completely guessed it right.
1: I, Yeah, I asked Clint to guess what happens in the final episode of Rise, and he got it exactly. And the, the bitch of it is, the bitch of living, if you will, is <laughs> that you at home could do the exact same thing. Yep. Um Those kids are very charming, but yeah, Yeah. that's, that was a hard no for me. Fox, obviously the big news here being that Fox canceled Brooklyn nine, nine, which was picked up 24 hours later by NBC, which will now have a block of three Michael Shore shows on its network because he's got a new show coming out this fall called Abby's. So Mm -hmm. we'll have the good place. We'll have. We'll have The Good Place, we'll have Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and we'll have Abbey's, all from Michael Shore. Which I thought is it was called exciting.
2: Arby's, and it was just like an office sitcom that took place at an Arby's.
0: <laughs> mm, NBC roast now beef. has the meats. Yes.
1: Oh, God. Go home. <laughs> so that is exciting, and Fox must be really confused. Yeah. Um, I wonder. He killed it. Why won't it die? You know, it might. I wonder if this is going to have any effect on the. Emmy race, frankly, because this is the most attention Brooklyn Nine-Nine has literally ever gotten, um, which is cool. CBS has not announced anything yet, and then the CW canceled two shows that did not surprise me at all, Mm -hmm. Life Sentence and Valor. Valor is really bad. I have not checked out Life Sentence, even though I think Lucy Hale is pretty charming. Um, It it also picked up iZombie, so that's one renewal we'll talk about, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also, and we'll talk more about this next week, announced five shows that they were giving season orders to including the new charmed and a reboot of Roswell uh, among some other things all five of those shows have a female showrunner uh, one of them also has a male co-showrunner but five shows five female showrunners i think that's, that's pretty great. fucking cool
3: and then sci-fi canceled the expanse yeah i'm sorry I buddy was, i was
2: raging against the dying of the light so long well apparently it's because because it has a weird like distribution thing sure. like like sci-fi doesn't make any money off that show after its initial airing mm-hmm. so um it already airs outside of the us uh on netflix and it airs domestically here uh on Am- like amazon has the u.s streaming rights so maybe there's like a chance that netflix or amazon or are- will pick it up like the production company is like you know shopping it around but it's a really expensive sci-fi show that uh, wasn't getting as good ratings as krypton
1: well it is a crying shame yeah um
2: the one still.
1: thing, the one other renewal that I wanted to mention, um, both because I'm really enjoying it and because we've talked about it on the show a couple of times, is that somewhat unexpectedly, ABC renewed For the People. I think some oh, of that yeah, is nice. also a production company situation. Mm-hmm. That's a Shondaland production, um, but the ratings were not great and it canceled a couple shows getting better ratings. ABC canceled a couple shows getting better ratings than For the People, but I'm very glad because I feel like that show is finding its stride mm-hmm. as an optimistic... Earnest, but occasionally surprisingly complex legal procedural, um, with some really appealing performers on it. So I'm mm-hmm. really glad to see that get a second trip around the sun, mm-hmm. as it were.
2: Uh, great news got canceled, which is not so great news. Yeah. I, I was happy. I'm just sad for Andrea Martin. Yeah, like the two shows she was on got canceled. Oh, like she'll book something else. She's a legend. Yeah.
1: Um, so we are now going to have a, a little tribute, um, a moment of farewell mm-hmm. to the shows that hit the chopping block this week. Um, mm-hmm. Take a moment, bow your eyes, raise your glass maybe. I'll do yeah. that silently. You can't hear it because there's no ice cubes in it. Yeah. Let's t- let's clink our glasses again. Let's do it in front of a microphone and it's still... Hold on. <laughs> 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 That's great. Still um, nothing. <laughs> uh, to the peaceful sounds of Sarah McLaughlin's immortal classic You thought I was going to say I will remember you but I'm not. I'm saying angel. Just picture Meg Ryan on a bike ran down a hill with her eyes closed and her arms out because that's a great decision Mm -hmm. gotta get my morning voice on yeah at ABC
3: Quantico designated survivor which went through four showrunners in two years Alex Inc Inhumans Deception The Crossing Kevin Probably Saves the World at NBC, Taken, Great News, which is bad news. The Brave, Rise. At Fox, Brooklyn 99, but don't worry about it, it's coming back, because that's Toit. The Mick, The Last Man on Earth, Lucifer, The Exorcist. At the CW, Life Sentence, it got a death sentence, and Valor. And it's sci-fi. The experience. Shall we? Fly away from here. Fly away
1: from here, shows. Fly away. Fly away. All right, that's it.
3: Yay! Um,
1: so before we get into our big project of the week, it's worth mentioning it one more time. Because uh, part of the reason that, that we're going to have time to watch things on this summer is that we're not going to have to worry about catching up on some of these shows. I'm not going to go out of my way to catch up on, say, I don't know, um, The Last Man on Earth, which I'm very behind on, or say, The Crossing, which I never started watching, um, because there's going to be summer TV on, so now I don't have to have a crowded schedule.
0: Conversely, you now have to catch up on every episode of Tim Allen's Last Man Standing. I really
1: don't. I really Uh. don't.
0: But don't you want to learn how to be an American man 40 years ago? It's a very important <laughs> skill right now. You yeah. know
1: what? That's true. If I could be white, male, and mm, 57, yeah, I'd be great. Anyway, um, and before we get into our episodes of the week, we had one more thing we wanted to talk about. It's our, it's our first um, TV party book club.
0: So more like book party, am I right? Oh god damn Gross. it. Get out of here. Uh,
1: but in this case, the book is a web series. Uh so let's take a second to talk about Megan Amrams
2: mm.
1: and Emmy for Megan.
2: Yeah. Uh by book club, you know, when you think of book clubs, you're like, let's all split up and uh watch or read this thing separately and then converse. Both Dom and I failed to do that, so we took a half hour. Before recording this. In case you're
1: wondering who is the Hermione Granger of the podcast, that would be me. (laughs) I have now watched it three times Mm -hmm. because I watched it and then I watched it again to be able to talk about it. And then I watched it while these clowns watched it for the first time. Yeah. I think that I think that Clint would probably have to be the Harry Potter. Probably. He's a little more earnest. And that makes Dom the Ron and all Weasley. All my
0: disfiguring scars too. I'm also pretty Ron Weasley. Like that's my vibe as a person. Well, so. except for <laughs>
1: you're not a blatant misogynist.
0: I I, I try. So Give there's that. I try. I really try to rise above that very low bar day to day.
1: R.I.P. Rise. Good job. Uh, so what did y'all think of an Emmy for Megan?
2: Oh God, it was great. Is it Emmy worthy? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if no, for, if for no other reason, like because that's that's the joke of it, right? Is that it's so bad, but it is such a blatant push for an Emmy. Um, That it has to work, right? The key is that it's actually
0: funny. Yeah, yeah. no, it is absolutely funny. There's absolutely a version of this shtick that doesn't really land, and it works in the case of this because it's just one long wink at kind of the pandering... Almost masturbatory material that tends to find its way into like YouTube vanity projects. Yeah. Because if you look at like YouTube trying to become a major player in the television and film world, the problem is right now, most of its TV shows and films are just vanity projects for YouTube stars, which is the saddest sentence I've ever said aloud. Yeah. And yet,
2: yeah, this one comes from uh, Megan Amram? Amram? I don't know. Amram. Amram. Well, the fact that they're able to play with the form in such a fascinating way, like right from the get go, she establishes the things. It has to, it has to be a six episode web series. And so they. it doesn't have to, it doesn't matter how long it is. So like episode three or four or whatever is just like, hey, they didn't give us a minimum time. Goodbye. See you next time. Um, with I,
1: then just videos of people <laughs> talking about how Megan Abrams. Who were
2: just, undoubtedly like texted 30 seconds before yeah. and be like, hey, can you do this? Ted sure.
1: Danson and RuPaul and JJ Abrams. Two Star Abrams. Wars directors. Yeah, JJ yeah. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real. And it hoop. ends
2: with RuPaul, which yeah. is fascinating. Well,
1: because that's where we are.
2: That's the cultural moment we're yeah, in. Yeah, RuPaul. Um, but it reminds me of those like peak era long form onion web series that happened in the mid and the early 2010s like yeah. uh, sex house and uh pork and across america if you haven't watched those go back and watch them because they are works of absurdist masterhood and i feel like this approaches that as well and uh, so yeah no it's it's fantastic and she has this great like effervescent smile as she's just deconstructing everything she's doing at the same time i
1: think my favorite recurring line is thank you for coming to my web series mm-hmm. you could have been at any website right now the en- the endless here.
2: like sparkle wipes oh yeah yeah there's a great so and the, many and the fact that as you pointed out uh, when we we're watching it the emmy statue constantly references not an emmy
1: it's not an emmy it's not <laughs> it's not even close to an emmy yeah what i think would be hilarious is if an Emmy for Megan does indeed get nominated for best actor in a best actress in a short form television series, comedy or drama. And the person who gets nominated is Darcy Carton. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> that would Ooh. be the ultimate sign of being in on the joke. She,
1: well, and I mean, she's really good yeah. in her one episode that she's in. She's really good. And I, I just think that would be hilarious. No, absolutely. You'd give me, would you give Megan an Emmy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would absolutely give Megan her Emmy yeah. mm-hmm, for sure.
1: For Twitter feed, if nothing else. I love that <laughs> she managed to find a way to plug her Twitter, her Twitter account <laughs> too. Which bit was your favorite?
2: Oh, my God. I think it might have been the rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. That's my favorite, too. That's in, com- like, fully committed, complete, like, two octaves higher than it needs to be.
1: Which is really hard to do. Yeah. I was going to
0: say, even for a joke, God bless her being yeah. able to hit I some right. of those terrible notes. I mean, notes. She,
1: like, you can tell from the way she's doing it that she can sing. <laughs> yeah, But, like... Sounds I could not make. Yeah. Like, could not. And I spent a lot of money on voice lessons when <laughs> I was a kid. So, like, this props to her. It's in- Im- impressive yeah. and um, frightening. And I'll never forget it. So, mm-hmm. that's it's a it's quite a moment indeed Indeed. what about you a favorite bit
0: I've gotta say I it's such an easy joke but I'm always a sucker for form manipulation cutaways so her coming into the fourth episode and immediately declaring there's no cap on the episodes thank you for watching and then there's a fade out to black shit like that will always tickle me That's yeah absolutely so yeah I, I approve
1: this has been our discussion of an Emmy for Megan mm-hmm. you can nominate us for a Webby by going to I don't know no. No, I don't know any of that
3: shit.
0: A Webby for Allison.
1: Oh, oh God.
3: No, thanks.
0: Nobody on here dabs nearly enough for a Webby. At least that's how I understand (laughs) Webby's work.
2: No, that's (laughs) how you win
0: Dabbies.
1: (laughs) Oh, gross. A Dabby for Debbie. All right. So let's move on to our episodes of the week where we talk about the best thing we've watched on TV this week. Yeah, well, I mean, he was already broken.
2: It's true. We're just trying to fix you.
1: I will try. Nope. To fix nope
2: nope, 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 Continue.
1: Nope. You are breaking me up inside. <laughs> <Can't-> <laughs> welche- All right. Um, Why don't we jump into the wide and wonderful world of the best thing we watched on TV this week? We are going to break the rules a little and um, admit that uh, there's just no way we weren't going to talk about Atlanta. So after we've done Mm -hmm. our individual picks, none of which are Atlanta, because there was no way we weren't going to talk about Atlanta, Dom and I are going to have a quick chat about the Atlanta finale. Mm -hmm. Mr. Suzanne Mayer, what is your choice for the episode of the week?
0: So by the time everyone actually listens to this, Barry will have concluded its first season on hbo at a brisk eight episodes it's already been renewed luckily Mm -hmm. but i wanted to talk quickly about chapter seven loud fast and keep going the penultimate episode of the first season because after the entire season has flirted with the idea of can a person who's taken lives knowingly and willingly ever be good again it resolves no, he really can't, but he's just going to keep going anyway. And there is something that is both really brutally, archly funny about that while also being genuinely devastating. Mm -hmm. And that, in a nutshell, is what I've come to like so much about this first season. The emotional beats never step on the jokes, but they are always the firm focus of every episode because it has morphed into a series about... A man who may be beyond the pale of humanity attempting to be good again and coming into a slow realization that there is a firm ceiling for how much he ever actually gets to again.
2: Right. And that's one of the great things about its essential premise, too, is that he's trying to become human again by engaging in just another mode of performance, albeit one that's more sort of socially acceptable and sort of miring yourself in this like amateur level. L.A. acting class, um, especially in the way he ties into the subplot, uh, Sally's subplot, where she wants to do Macbeth so bad. And she she depends on Barry for this one line. And even though it's just I mean, we've established throughout the show that Barry's a bad actor, but yet they still play with that expectation of like Barry being in such mental anguish at like this situation he's ended up in that um the scene ends up playing itself out in like two or three different ways throughout the episode. I love the dream version of how that episode about, about how that monologue goes and the way he like nails it and then not, and then, you know, to seeing everything else go. And it's just, it's just phenomenal. And the way they're able to tie Barry's own um, emotional journey with these more superficial Uh, First world problems, so to speak, like can I pull off a Macbeth monologue to impress this agent is really, really cool. And then, yeah, like you said, they're they're not afraid to pull like the violent punches like in the very beginning with the the van and that scene with him and Chris Marquette.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's really finding its footing as a serial comic series with emphasis on the former, Mm -hmm. because you've seen a lot of like. Dramedies about morally wayward hitmen. That's like a weirdly prolific subgenre at this point, if anything. And Barry's doing something interesting because it's more about Barry the hitman than it is Barry the civilian. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting tweak to that formula because it's more interested in what makes him good at the thing he is cursed to be great at. (laughs) Because that's the one thing I love about the show too. From the pilot on, they have done a good job at every step of illustrating. He is a remarkably talented contract killer, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to be more than anything. And that's where the tension emerges, and that's a really interesting way to play that out. And now... You have an episode ending with an even more haunting idea, which is now he's finally suffered enough to make genuinely great art. Yeah. And there is such a bitter, bitter irony to that. Mm -hmm. Seeing the
2: the disconnect between his genuine anguish and... Gene popping in on him at that dressing room and he's like, Okay, I see you're still in that place. I'm gonna go as he's punching the wall and screaming and throwing chairs, like because you know, you think of that thing as being like the thing an ultimate method actor would do. But no, like just so seeing those like the, that disconnect is really awesome. Barry, <laughs> Barry. I, it sounds amazing. I I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the finale.
1: Yeah. Uh, Clint, what is your pick for episode of the week?
2: Well, since I only have so many opportunities to talk about the Expanse, <laughs> now we're going to talk about the Expanse for a couple minutes. Where I am, I'm going to talk at you about the Expanse. Um, the Expanse uh, just finished the uh, fifth episode of what is now, for now, its final season. Uh, Triple Point. And it's doing a thing that I think is fascinating in terms of like literary adaptations of, of like major sci-fi or fantasy series where um, just like in the second season, the middle of the season seems like its own climax. And this seems like it's like, they're probably wrapping up, I think, the second book and going into the third. So a lot of things are coming together. A lot of the factions are coming to a head. Um, Earth and Mars are on the brink of this this huge war as everyone goes to our heroes are trying to rescue this. One of their crew members, like daughters, who's like captured and being used for nefarious purposes and all kinds of stuff. And they're finding these different um, ways of treating these different factions getting into impending war. And uh, as is, I think it's a really, I think the show's firing on all cylinders. They're finding fun little character moments. They're finding interesting character moments, culminations for a lot of the main characters. Like one of the main characters is at this point in the show is a very reluctant hero and he's having to um, accept that there are these these literally cosmic forces at play to like force them into these positions to make very selfless decisions. And, um, in the context of a wartime drama, like seeing opposing captains from two different factions of a ship, trying to figure out whether or not they need to be firing on each other. You know, the show is very good at exploring in a near future context, these, um, these military and political, um, thriller elements. And I think this one leans more on the military stuff than normal, but, uh, it just, it's still just a great, great genre show and I want it I want it to live so much, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sad it's gone. We haven't even gotten to David Strathern yet in the show and I can't wait to find out what the hell he's doing here.
1: Well hopefully it finds a home because Mm. it sounds great it's fun i'm sure i'm
2: selling it really well you are (laughs) no i I just
1: it's one of the you know it's well it's tv we're about to talk a show talk about a show that's super hot that's so hot right now that neither of you have seen um so it's really really hard to keep up with everything that's great and i am super looking forward to watching it and i hope it finds a home on another network Mm -hmm. um with that Let's move on to my pick. Uh, Like Kate said last week when we were on, we're beginning to to get a bit samey in our choices because Mm -hmm. there are a couple shows on right now that are so excellent week in and week out that it's sort of impossible to ignore them so I was really hoping to pick something else this week Um, there was an episode of The Terror this week that was really incredible Uh, there were some other really big highlights obviously we'll be talking about Atlanta this week's The Americans is excellent lots and lots of good stuff Uh, but I just have to talk about Killing Eve the most recent episode is called I Have a Thing for Bathrooms by the time this episode airs the next episode of Killing Eve will have been out but we are talking about this one because Jesus Christ you just have to Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, for those who aren't watching, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's on yeah. BBC America. It is really amazing. We've talked about it before. Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh both giving incredible performances with a terrific supporting cast. I Have a Thing for Bathrooms picks up at the end of Sorry Baby, seconds after the end of Sorry Baby, which is the episode we talked about last week, where we see Villanelle coming over this hill, heading toward a car in which are Elena and Dick Swab, and Eve. Um, And it's about what happens after that happens, and specifically the dynamic that's developing between these two women. Um, And it is fascinating, deeply upsetting stuff. I Have a Thing for Bathrooms has a genuine jump scare in it that made me laugh so hard that Mm -hmm. I paused the TV and just needed a second to recover. Um, It's got a scene that takes place in a kitchen that is so deeply creepy and complicated and messed up that I'm sort of still thinking about it, Um, you know, a couple of days later. Uh, it's the best episode Sandra O's had so far. It's the best episode that Joni Comers have so far. I would easily say it's the best episode of the series so far, which is saying something because we've picked it at this point, I think four times, and this mm-hmm. is the fifth episode. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't want to, these two haven't watched it yet. <laughs> and it's so young in its life that it's, re, it, you're still at a point when you can get in and experience it with everybody else. So, don't be like these two fools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just start watching Killing mistakes. Eve. You can watch it on BBC America. I think it's BBC America um, Whatever. Just Google BBC America. Go to that site. They have an app as well. Um, I feel like it may
2: be possible to watch it on the AMC app, too. That's at least how cool. I watched the first episode. So awesome.
1: Yeah. Just get there because I have a feeling that these final three episodes are going to be deeply compelling stuff. Um, luckily, it's already renewed for a second season. And I have the finale screener waiting for me
3: in my screener's account. I can't wait. That's how
1: I'm spending my Saturday night. (laughs) Um, I just can't wait. Uh, So, have I convinced you yet, assholes?
0: You have.
2: Yeah, I was convinced from the first episode. I just need to find the time now. Well, you're both
1: fired. You've got plenty of time. Just kidding. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Uh speaking of things Clint hasn't seen yet. Yeah. Sorry, bro, you're gonna have to take me for fine. a minute so that we can talk about the final episode of the second season of Atlanta, Robin season. Um, let's talk about this shit, shall we? A very tense thirty three minutes.
0: It was a tense 33 minutes, and it cements that Atlanta Robins season is going to go down as one of the great television seasons of its era, and I firmly maintain that now, because especially coming off of FUBU, which did a wonderful job of fleshing out a lot of really crucial story in its typically weird left-of-center Atlanta sort of way— about why exactly Paperboy and Urn care so deeply for one another beyond this stock dialogue of because family. In the case of FUBU, you get a vision of how they weren't so much a family that had a deep bond as family that were forced together, as families often are, especially at a young age. They were just kind of the weird cousins who didn't have a lot of their own friends and were kind of pushed to hang out with one another. And then it circles back around to Crabs in a Barrel, the season finale, which illustrates just how far Urn is willing to go, not only for his cousin, but to be the man he thinks he's supposed to be. And he does so in what is understated by the show, but also a really game-changing moment when Urn actively destroys a white manager's life.
1: I... Was surprised about a lot with this episode. I do want to say, as I was just confirming that the episode title is in fact "crabs, crabs in a barrel" because I just wanted to double check because I'm an idiot. Um, I noticed that also on Thursday, uh, FX announced that they signed a first look deal with Hira Moray. So that is Moray, 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 Moray. I believe. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, anyway, he – oh, you're so welcome, Dom. Um, yeah, he signed a first-look deal with FX, which means he will be developing TV projects for them, which can be nothing but really great news. What a, Talk about what a week for those two guys.
0: Absolutely. I mean, first of all, as we've been saying all season long on this podcast and just in life in general, Hiro Murai is making—he—he's one of the best directors on television right now. I don't think there's much dispute to that. He's directed the vast majority of this season of Atlanta, and all of it has been just remarkable—visually, thematically, tonally. There is such a striking sense of place that is evoked specifically by his directorial work, but. Because the show never really puts a fine point on building its vision of Atlanta. That's all visual and that's all tonal. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that comes from him. So his work is remarkable. And then Donald Glover, who is basically finally becoming the rock star that someone of Donald Glover's skill level was always meant to become. Which, by the way, it was hysterical watching Crabs in a Barrel. And then every outro was, okay, here's this ad for Solo now. I know, now.
1: it was so strange. Like, cognitive dissonance, but really entertaining cognitive Yeah,
0: because Ern and Lando could not be more disparate characters.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, uh, something I was really struck by in this episode is how conventional it felt um still really surreal that lift ride was super surreal the conversation with with Lottie's teacher was super surreal the line um when I see a steer smart enough to get out I leave the gate open Jesus Christ um the obviously the scene at the airport very surreal their trip to the passport place is pretty surreal the that beautiful final shot of that couch Pretty surreal. But in terms of what it does, this season felt a lot like, like I, f- it felt a lot like um, a collection of short stories as opposed to one narrative. Absolutely. But here, I'm going this is gonna be my obnoxious literary reference of the week. Have y'all mm. read Winesburg, Ohio?
2: No.
0: Can't say I have.
1: So that is what watching this episode made me think of. Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson is a collection of short stories that are all interconnected, but you don't really realize it until you've started to kind of tear through them. And of course they all are. And there's been a thematic arc. There have been individual character arcs, but I didn't realize exactly how vital Ern's arc was, how vital Al's arc was, and how directly related and oppositional they are until we got to that scene at the airport. And in that respect, it's a very conventional episode of television. It takes all the things that have been happening through the course of the whole season and brings them together in one moment that sort of crystallizes what's going on. And then there's a conversation afterward that reflects that. And it just like incredibly graceful, well constructed, um, familiar TV achieved in an incredibly rich, unexpected, left of center, as you put it, style. And I think that is nuts.
0: Well, and it's hearkening back further than this season. There's this gorgeous moment right before the meat of the airport sequence gets going where they blow past two more guys who are pushing credit cards in the airport lobby the way that Earn was in the pilot of the series. And that's what I really adore about Atlanta more than anything. I mean, there's a lot of traits, but one of the things I really, really admire is how it tells its story and it tells it in a lucid way. You just have to pay attention and be willing to engage with it on its terms by its rhythm. And I think that is just bold, incredible filmmaking, television Mm -hmm. making, whatever phrase you want to throw at it. And I mean... Like And what I really amazes me about Robin's season at this point is how, yeah, you've got the episodes like Teddy Perkins and Woods and Barbershop that are very buzzy and bu- easy to gain buzz, and they kind of operate on their own wavelength, and that's all well and good. But then you can still have an episode like this or even like North of the Border, which for all of its surrealist flourishes is also fairly straightforward in what it's driving at. And you can still have, as you pointed out, that strange off kilter sense of surrealism that no other show is pulling off in quite this way.
1: With that, I am going to direct you, um, if you are an Atlanta watcher, uh, to consequenceofsound.net, where you can read Randall Colburn's incredibly thoughtful dissection of season two. If you're not an Atlanta watcher, God, I strongly recommend it. Um, Go ahead and get started on that ASAP. In Randall's breakdown, you will find categories like best episode and best episode that isn't Teddy Perkins, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, weakest episode, which is a bit of a cheat because there isn't one. Um, the MVP, which, again, could have gone any number of ways, but in this case is Brian Terry Henry. Just go ahead and read about it. Mm-hmm. Best Musical Cue, uh, a welcome surprise, freakiest shit about the finale and final verdict. Um, so go check that out. It's some great writing about a great television show that we are going to be talking about for basically the rest of the year. And onward because it is a hell of a rabbit season Mm -hmm. as they say
2: i can't wait to find time to watch it
1: (laughs) well you know what what and in latter days in days gone by i might say you could watch it over the summer there's nothing on tv but not this
0: summer nice
1: pool party i don't know (laughs) sorry Guys, I'm tired.
0: I don't want to yeah. have pool parties. Pool parties make me deeply anxious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. This would be a good time to suggest that y'all go see Eighth Grade when that comes out in June. Oh my god, Bo so Burnham's good. movie Eighth Grade. I think it's out yeah. in June. Yeah.
0: We it is. It's out in July. Movies are a kind of TV. Yeah. Movies are just shorter TV and you watch more of it in a row. With a bunch of strangers in your house. That's basically how art works. Go
1: watch, when it's out, go watch 8th Grade. That closed the Chicago Critics Film Festival this week. So it's that and pool parties are on my mind. Anyway, um, so this is our summer TV preview. You can find at consequenceofsound.net a list of 30 shows that we're really excited about. Um, Clint, Dominic, Kate Kulczyk, Michael Rothman, and I dig into all 30. And we could pick many, many more beyond that 30 because, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of great TV on. Um, this list does include things like NBC's Reverie, which looks really exciting, the excellent adaptation of Little Women that's going to be arriving on PBS the day before you're listening to this because um, it starts mm-hmm. on Sunday, uh, and a bunch of other really, really exciting things. But we narrowed it to 30, wrote about those. We we individually each picked five, and that is what we are going to talk about. Hooray. Clint, What when I say the words... Promising upstarts. What does that mean to you?
2: Um, uh, tech companies that uh, are <laughs> get write-ups in Wired. Is that what you're looking for?
1: Oh, you're gonna have plenty of time Probably. to watch Atlanta when yeah. you're fucking fired. I know. God um. damn it.
2: <laughs> uh, but no, I think of shows that are just on the right just getting started, but uh, we're really, really excited about them.
1: In other words, things that you're really gonna hope aren't mm-hmm. gonna get canceled. They don't get expansed. Uh, although our picks poor deception yeah
2: (sighs) just like that (sighs) it was gone (laughs) now you see me now you you don't don't.
1: uh it's not good no but it was sweet anyway we'll (laughs) always
2: have deception we'll
1: always have deception um The fun thing about this is we actually picked not one, but two movies that are going to air on the old HB Mm. office. So um, (laughs) we'll get into those as well. They can't be canceled, but they could be underseen, I guess. Um, So yeah, Dom, what are your picks for Promising Upstarts?
0: So I'll kick us off with some home box office material. Um... I'm really interested in this adaptation of Fahrenheit 451, which obviously it's not the first. It's not even the first film adaptation because I think it's a film on HBO. I never know anymore. But regardless, I'm all I'm really excited to see what Ramin Barani can do with it. He's one of the great unheralded directors tends to play really well in Chicago because he was a favorite of Roger Ebert's and Ebert's latter years. He was banging the drum for Barani when he was making really, really, really low budget fare, Mm -hmm. like micro budget filmmaking. And as has become increasingly customary, Barani is working with Michael Shannon again and Michael B. Jordan as well. And two mics. Yeah. And these are two mics that I especially enjoy watching in pretty much anything. These are mics you don't want to drop.
2: I oh. Get
0: Out Yeah, <laughs> I'm not you know going what? anywhere. This hold is on. my room. Hold on. We are we are in <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Boom. We are Continue. in Clint's home as I yell at him for bad jokes. But um regardless I'm really intrigued to see what can be done with this because Fahrenheit 451, unfortunately, is one of those Ray Bradbury properties that only appreciates with age and only becomes more relevant, which is not how I imagine Bradbury saw this all working out. But (laughs) That's not how speculative fiction is supposed to work. You're supposed to tell us what not to be doing. Exactly. We're not supposed to take it as a primer. Yeah. So... On that basis, it's upsetting that Fahrenheit 451 is back. But at the exact same time, I'm really intrigued by the idea of updating it for a world where the scenario is becoming eerily plausible, such as in the case of the 1966 adaptation where Truffaut was able to adapt the film for an era that was struggling with, like, subversive literature coming out and like what the reactionary panic to that might mean. Mm-hmm. Now you have an era where information is everywhere and you have people making genuine straight faced earnest arguments that we need less information, which is getting really scary, really well, and, quickly and
2: conflicting versions of information. Like, you know, like the literal and figurative fake news mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So in a, in a world where what is truth and what is actual knowledge, like it's increasingly muddied this is an interesting time to put out a Fahrenheit 451 adaptation.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's going to be really exciting. And then speaking of literature, which is really the only even vague segue I have into my second choice, we can also talk about Hulu's Castle Rock, Yay. which you will be hearing a lot about on Consequence of Sound. I'm just going to go out on a limb here.
2: That's the musical episode of Castle,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. It, w- it was uh, Stephen Botchko's short-lived <laughs> Castle two, spinoff. I'm intrigued by Castle Rock precisely because of how little I know about it. We know that it's a J.J. Abrams joint. We know that it's based on the Stephen King extended universe. <laughs> and honestly, I think it could be a really cool way of getting a getting a Dark Tower adaptation in that the increasingly blow. likely event that the TV Dark Tower never comes into being. Yeah. And yes, if it doesn't suck... As badly as the movie, which is a movie that put me to sleep, and that basically never happens in movies. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so where the Losers Club will be all over Castle Rock for the entirety of its run week after week, what we can say for the time being is that— It's a really interesting proposition because in becoming a new story based within the King world, you can go anywhere, which ironically is where the Dark Tower was supposed to go, where it eventually brings in other elements from other King stories and even at one point ridiculously Stephen King himself as a character in the narrative (laughs) – so Castle Rock can pretty much do anything. You have an interesting cast thrown together with actors like Melanie Linsky, Andre Holland, Jane Levy of um the absolutely incredible Evil Dead remake, which I will always stand for oh, in yeah. any context. She was great. And you have Bill Skarsgard showing up and At least as of right now, he's not Pennywise the Clown, but it's a question of how long the show will be able to fight the urge, really. I mean, he's just right there. He is. He's right there. And you have the ultimate king actor, Sissy Spacek, Mm -hmm. showing up. So all around, Castle Rock is going to be a really exciting experiment in what I wish more properties that want to create a cinematic universe or television universe or whatever would do where they take – All of those known stories and actually make something new and engaging and interesting out of them. I'm
1: particularly excited about Andre Holland, who is just great in literally everything he's in. Um, He was my favorite part of shit, what the fuck? Not hotel. The one with the haunted house and the people Roanoke? in the woods. Roanoke. He oh, was one of my the, favorite parts yeah. of American Horror Story. Yeah. yeah, he is in. Heartbreaking in that. Yeah, really great in Moonlight and um, and many other things. Um, he is prominently featured in all the trailers, making me think that he will probably be our protagonist or close to it. Um, also, Terry O'Quinn, who we don't see nearly he's... enough of post-Lost, so yeah. I'm excited about that. Um, but this, I'm excited about Castle Rock in the way I'm excited for another project that's, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's still in development so way too early to even start predicting when it's going to show up which is the premiere of um, the Kingkiller Chronicles universe the f- the Four Corners I'm not sure what they're going to call it in the book it's the Four Corners hmm. um, where Patrick Roth the novelist Patrick Rothfuss signed a deal that includes uh, film adaptations of his movies a television series based in the world of his movies and a video game that are all <laughs> interconnected which I think is fucking cool as hell uh-huh. um that project would be excited to me even if it wasn't being in part executive produced by lin-manuel miranda who presumably is also going to be writing the music for name of the wind and the wise man's fear um, music plays a really important role in those books mm-hmm. um but the series is interesting to me because there's this beloved soon-to-be trilogy of incredible novels uh and they're already just planning to tell more stories in that world. And I, that is very, very exciting to me. So Castle Rock is easily the king adaptation I'm most excited about, because I think it's sort of liberating. Uh, beyond that, because it's on Hulu, it also makes it landing on the home of one of my favorite king adaptations, which is the really excellent miniseries adaptation of 11,2263, mm-hmm. which um, I think bodes really, also produced by J.J. Abrams. So I, I think that bodes very well for this project.
2: Uh, as opposed to Netflix, which was the home of 1922.
0: And, uh, Gerald's Jame. <laughs> Hey, listen. Yeah. Whatever I can say for that Gerald's game adaptation, the glove removal is one of the scariest, most unsettling things I've seen in a film in years. Well, so there's something Geralt's to be glove. said for that.
1: Yeah. It's she's really great in that. Yeah. Uh, Clint, what are your picks for the promising upstarts?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of things. One is an adaptation of uh, of a book that was that has already spawned uh, one of my favorite films of all time, which is Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, I believe. Oh, what network's doing it? Oh, it's just. Amazon. Um, it's a limited series uh, based on the book by Joan Lindsay, which was made into a 1974, I think, movie by Peter Weir. And if you haven't seen it, it is one of the most haunting, scariest without being a horror movie movies you'll ever see. Um, takes place. It's it basically tells the story of the this group of Australian school children, like running in this all girls school. Um, they all take a trip to the Tichelaar Hanging Rock. A few of them disappear, and the sort of the the dynamics between the remaining girls as but basically, you know, just seeing the, the the way the remaining schoolgirls were left behind uh, deal with that loss and this mysterious disappearance, some looking for them, some some sort of trying to le- move, move move beyond it. The cast looks really interesting. Uh, Natalie Dormer is going to lead it from uh, as the headmistress. Um, the costumes already look amazing. Like, if you see the early uh, production photos, let's see. Oh, it's going to be directed by a few um, decent you know, Australian or uh, Canadian directors. Uh, Michael Reimer, I know, do, he did a lot about. Star Galactica. You know, I'm just generally looking forward to it based purely on the strength of the material and Natalie Dormer and just what we've seen so far. Um, And the fact that it's going to be a limited series, so they're not like trying to stretch it out. Um, They're not going to have, not the problem, but the challenge that Handmaid's Tale has where they have to go outside the confines of the book. So I'm looking forward to that. But one I'm actually really really excited about and i didn't know until i was researching it for this list is a new amc show called dietland
3: oh i'm so excited um, for dietland
2: which is this beautiful looking dark comedy from the based on another novel um by sarah walker who uh came up with the idea for her own novel after watching fight club and she's like why isn't there a girls version of this it's the tale of this plus-size woman named plum kettle who's an assistant at this prominent New York fashion magazine uh, headed by Juliana Margulies in the midst of all the sort of the rat race and dealing with street harassment, that kind of stuff. Uh, from what I can tell from the trailer, she ends up becoming this vigilante, essentially like murdering terrible men. And it looks like it's going to be really fascinating. It looks like it's gonna be really whip smart and funny. Um, the lead is played by Joy Nash, who I think is a relative unknown, but it'll be a really nice, uh, you know, nice lead role for her to sink her teeth in, and- to and really make a huge impression. Yeah, Julianne Margulies is beautiful as always. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. The, the trailers look really fun. If you get uh, get a chance to do it,
1: uh, we should mention that Joy Nash was recently seen on a show that I don't think we've covered very much. Uh-huh. Uh, Twin Peaks: The Return.
2: Oh
3: yes, uh, she
1: appeared in part eight. Um, well, so that is yeah. nice. <laughs> So she's twin peaks alum. Yeah. Uh, I just can't wait for this one. I don't really have anything to add. It's the yeah. showrunner is Marty Noxon of Unreal. Um uh, Robin
2: Wiegert's gonna be in it too. Yeah. Tamara Tooney, that was the other face I recognized. Um yeah. yeah. It just looks like it's gonna be really like vicious in the best way. It's gonna be like a I, I think I described it as a ugly Betty Meets American psycho. <laughs> I'm it's just gonna it's gonna be really whip smart and and surprisingly dark I'm just so jazzed for it
1: yeah I am stoked all right uh my picks one has already started uh this is the star series Vida which is created and produced by Tanya Siracho an excellent playwright who until you know kind of relatively recently was based in Chicago Mm -hmm. um Really incredible writer. She wrote most of the early episodes of the series while she was recovering from back surgery and was unable to move, Um, which is not why they're good. They're good because she's excellent. Um, But there is... You can sort of imagine a world where she was able to achieve this really great thing. And Vita, I've only seen the first episode, but it is excellent, where when all you're able to do is sort of wish that you could do things other than work, but work (laughs) is what you have and you pour your whole heart and soul into this thing, magical things can happen. And Jesus Christ, is it good. Vita is the story of... Two sisters, two Mexican-American sisters, who have to go home to their East Los Angeles neighborhood um, when their mother dies unexpectedly. Once there, this is something that comes out in the first episode, but it's teased pretty heavily in the trailers, so I'm just going to let it fly. They discover that unbeknownst to them, their mother had gotten married to a woman um, who has, and she, that she has left the bar that she owned, Vida's to her two daughters and her wife um and neither of the daughters knew that she had been married they both want to sell the bar um her wife absolutely refuses and said it's not what she would have wanted uh, and that all sort of happens in the first episode um it's set against the backdrop of a neighborhood being gentrified um And the extremely negative reaction that most residents are having to that sort of encapsulated by the younger sister of someone one of the sisters used to date, um, who acts as kind of a Sriracha described it as a Greek chorus. It is a half hour comedic drama. The whole thing is beautifully shot. It's incredibly cinematic, beautiful to look at really really stylish the cinematographer Carmen Cabana is Afro-Latina Sriracha in a piece that aired after the first episode talks briefly about how much it means to her to have a cinematographer that understands their skin tones everyone looks incredibly beautiful but the neighborhood looks really beautiful too it's epic in scale really intimate in content uh, and I could not be more excited about this one so it's only half an hour (laughs) you should watch it it's great Mm -hmm. um and I think it's going to be really, really special moving forward. Uh, I also think you can expect to hear both of the sisters, but Melissa Barrera in particular talked about in Emmy Conversations as we approach those dates. I so, see. yeah, Vida.
2: Here's hoping so it has good. a very long life, or as Coldplay would say.
1: Oh, God damn it. That
3: one Do it. stuck. Do it. Hit <laughs> her
2: with it. Viva la Vida. Oh,
3: ah, God. Ah. Under-
2: <laughs> I'm just torturing you at this point. What's your other show? What's your other promising upstart?
1: <laughs> How am I supposed to talk about The Tale now? No. <laughs> it just broke me. <laughs> so, The Tale, um, probably the most buzzed about film to come out of this year's Sundance, a the first narrative feature length film to come from documentarian Jennifer Fox, um, who is. Making a movie about a documentarian named Jennifer Fox, uh, (laughs) who is forced to confront some memories in her childhood that she thought were one thing that may be something else. When her mother, Ellen Burstyn, discovers um, some stories that she wrote when she was a child. Uh, Jennifer Fox is played by Laura Dern, who some of you may know from a little film called Jurassic Park. And nothing else, because she's yeah. not a particularly busy actor. Yeah, It's hilarious, because she won an Emmy last year and is probably going to win one this year. Or maybe three, maybe four. She's going to be nominated in several categories this year. Mm-hmm. Because Laura Dern is very good at her job and also famous. Yes. So, um, it's Laura Dern starting movie about... Uh, Some really troubling stuff and explored in what I've heard is a very unconventional way. Um, So I can't wait to see this one It's Mm -hmm. sitting in my inbox right now. Can't wait. Dom, as our resident film expert, what have you heard about this one?
0: I've heard that it's not a movie to watch if you have anything else to do the rest of the day after you watch it. And I don't mean to be glib about that, but there are some movies that are just going to drain the life out of you and you're just going to want to lay on the floor groaning for a while after they conclude. Mm -hmm. This may be one such outing, but otherwise I've heard that in general – it especially in a film climate where we're able to start confronting these things, because it's almost like women making movies about their own experiences as an important part of art or something. What? Yeah, I know. This is like new news that just happened now. <laughs> but um, now that like, look, as much as it sucks that movies like this haven't been made for years it's happening now and I think there's something to be said for that and I think there's something to be said about letting people become the authors of their own trauma that in one sense is going to be really powerful for the industry, for culture, for the viewers, for everybody and is also probably going to change the way we attack movies for the better as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I really need to say anything more than that. Yeah, uh, I am excited that this is going to be seen by a lot of people. Um It is interesting to me that the sort of most talked about title out of Sundance was snapped up by HBO, Mm -hmm. Um, so that's an interesting thing. But you know what?
0: The biggest buyers at Sundance now are Amazon, Netflix and other streaming services. That's just the new way of things. Like at the end of the day, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Allison. More people are going to see the tale because it's on HBO Memorial Day weekend than we're ever going to see it in a theater. And as sad as that makes me, it's just true. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you know, Laura Dern on HBO. We'll see how that works out.
1: Reader, should I fire him?
2: Um, (laughs) I'm testing it.
1: It's a joke because they're listeners. What? I know. Um, All right. Let's take a quick break and come back to talk about our solid contenders and then gasp our top picks for the summer.
2: What? (gasps) Uh
1: Well, that was a refreshing break.
2: (gasps) Ooh. I don't know what that noise was, but it happens.
1: We are back with our summer TV preview, mm. where we are previewing things that are going to be on TV over the summer. I get it now. I know, it's wild, I understand. Right? Okay, so, Dom, talk to me about one of your picks for the solid contenders, the things you think are have the possibility to be one of the highlights of the year in
3: television.
0: <laughs> well, let me kick off by... Talking about my life highlight in pretty much any year, the Great British Baking Show. Yay! I don't have to say a lot about it. It's back. Uh, Clint and Allison both just high fived. Yeah. It's great. The vibe it, See, I just said the name of the show and the vibe is already better in the recording. Right. It's really true. It's for people, so aggressively pleasant. For
1: people who all they know is it's British and a baking show, will you let people know about this, this
0: wonderful delight? So, it's the friendliest show on television, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, because where so many American cooking shows are built adversarially, I mean, even the ones like Top Chef that I tend to enjoy more because they're far less mean-spirited still have a competition aspect to them. Cutthroat Kitchen. Exactly. Chef Gauntlet. Exactly. And like the fact that you can say most of the Food Network's programming in that voice and nail the vibe of it. Guys, grocery games. Yeah. See, they're all like very severe television. And I think. The Barefoot Contessa. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason I and so many other people absolutely adore the Great British Baking Show, by contrast, is that. It's a competition show and someone does get eliminated at the end of every episode, but it doesn't feel like any other competition show you have ever watched. And I adore it for that. I love that it is a show about friendship and Noel Fielding complimenting nice British people on their bread. I love the fact that it is all amateur bakers, so you don't get a lot of like the top chef stuff where it's very talented chefs being mean to each other and cutaway interviews. It's just people who mean really well and are not career bakers just trying their best with a bunch of supportive hosts and also Paul Hollywood and his swarthy fuck eyes because he doesn't have anything but swarthy fuck eyes ever. And I imagine it's a burden on him as a person. Oh, my God. The Great British Baking Show is back on PBS. As it has it, it may be a show that English audiences, if any of you are listening to TV Party, thank you. And also, I'm not sure how you found your way here. Also, Cheerio. Yes, that that's what they Stress. say. Yes. And... <laughs> The Great British Baking Show is back on PBS this summer to make you feel good about amateur bakers trying their best. (laughs) And what's odd is, in putting this episode together, we looked into what episodes of The Great British Baking Show are going to be aired, and it's looking like PBS is airing a season from before the hellish time where Mary Berry disappeared from all of our lives, Mm -hmm. along with Sue and Mel. And that's no slight against Noel Fielding, but... We're excited to see the old crew, and even if these are episodes that some audiences might have seen, hell, if they're new to us, then we're excited about exactly.
2: it. At least it's not The Great American Baking Show.
0: Exactly, because that'd have Gordon Ramsay making somebody cry. Probably. Well,
2: no, no, because like they already aired two seasons of A Great American Baking Show, and it was a disaster. Oh, I
0: thought that's just a goofy thing you were no, saying. No, I that's was a not real goofing. thing. The
2: first season of that was Nia Vardalos and her husband Ian Gomez as like the presenters, but it was still um, Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood stuff. And then there was some second season um, starring Mary Berry and then some other guy who I don't remember his name, but he ended up getting caught in the Me Too stuff. So, like, that was another reason why American Baking Show, like, sort of got the axe, justifiably so. But, yeah, but it didn't ever work in that environment because it, it's, it feels so in, endearingly British, that kind of thing. Uh, just the idea of like uh, 12 or so people going to a pleasant country hill upon which upon which a tent has been erected, filled with um, you know, ovens and, and baking equipment of all sorts, and they just have a pleasant time helping each other out with theirs with their bakes, and the worst thing that happens is something is mildly um, you know, underbaked or you have a soggy bottom. Or, or you the sh- tea
3: gets cold.
2: Like, I think the worst thing that ever happened was it's always like some bearded young British guy who, like, gets really upset about, like, the poor quality of his bake and he throws it in the trash. And that's as dramatic as the show ever gets. So I'm jazzed to get more of placid cutaways to lambs bang
0: And just seeing some awesome fakes. Absolutely. And my favorite thing I ever read about the show is that Sue and Mel, who might be on this summer series but are no longer on it in England, they would regularly go over to people when they were truly melting down, like the kind of melting down that makes for good reality television in theory, Mm -hmm. and would say vulgar shit into the shot staring directly at the camera to render the footage unusable so that nobody would have to be embarrassed having a bad week moment on camera Or sometimes
2: explicitly helping them get their things together absolutely like right it's so it's so much fun it's a hug in television form it absolutely and is so i feel like we need that right now we Even really it's do an old hug if we we're digging an old hug out of the archives and playing it on pbs i'll take it
0: Well, while summer television will be full of musty hugs, it'll also be full of engaging new series, particularly my other pick for these strong contenders, which is the upcoming series Strange Angel or Strangel, as I'm coining from here on in. I love you. Um, continue to Clint. Um, <laughs> Strange Angel is a CBS All Access series. And between this and the good fight, CBS All Access is establishing itself as this weird little place where CBS is trying stuff that it would never in a million years try on actual yeah, CBS. The
1: rumor is that the L.A. Confidential series they were making was deemed too dark for CBS. Oh. And that maybe it'll also end up on CBS
3: you All understand. Access.
2: Well, Lord knows they need more reasons to get people to subscribe than just Discovery.
0: There's Discovery and there's NCIS until Time Immortal that's going <laughs> to keep the the wheels greased. You know, when our bodies are loam and the cities are but dust, NCIS New Orleans will still be in its 19th season. Yeah. So there are some, te- some things you Bacula's can do. Bacula got to get upon. paid. Yeah, Bacula's got to get paid. As true now as it ever was, written stone by the gods. Yes. But regardless, Strange Angel is an interesting property because we don't know much about it. We mentioned it a few weeks ago on this show. And the main thing is that all of its initial episodes, for what I am understanding, will be a limited series, at least initially, are going to be directed by David Lowry of last year's Ooh, A Ghost Story okay. and Pete's Dragon. you got my interest now. Those are two movies that we were extremely high on at Consequence A Sound, A mm-hmm. Ghost Story in particular – and to see what Lowry can do with television, which is not a medium he's worked in before, is going to be really, really exciting.
2: I don't know anything about it other than the David Lowry factor, and I'm already on board.
1: Well, it was created by Mark Heyman, which is pretty exciting, too. Hmm. Um, so he is uh, the writer of The Skeleton Twins and Black Swan. OK.
3: Um,
1: so he is the creator and therefore presumably the showrunner. I am mostly interested in the story and what we know of the story, um, which Dom here is better equipped to talk about than me, so I'm going to volley that back to him.
0: Well, Strange Angel is going to be touching on the real life of John Parsons, who was a working-class janitor-turned-rocket-scientist who was heavily influenced in his successes and career by the occult teacher Alistair Crowley. So... It's it's like a rags to riches Americana story, but since it's mid century, mid twentieth century America, it's also going to involve sex magic, probably. Thank God. But what about blood sugar? Absolutely Uh. good. I, you know, I shouldn't give that one to you, but yeah, you set me up. I I lobbed it underhand. You get credit for the assist. So. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers notwithstanding, yeah. we're really excited to see what this can do. Jack Rayner is going to be stepping into the lead, okay. who's been amassing a number of credits in really interesting projects, particularly a Free Fire, where I thought he was one of the more normal, notable performances in a fairly forgettable yeah, movie. Sing
2: uh, He's actually surprisingly good in the episode of Electric Dreams he was in. Um, yeah, he's really working hard to work off that Transformers paycheck.
0: Listen, everyone gets a Transformers paycheck and spends several minutes explaining consent law on screen sometimes. We've all been there. Yeah, everyone's Especially lived Jack out Ranger that as scenario. Especially Jack I to call him,
2: thin Irish Seth Rogen.
1: <laughs> uh, we've also got Rupert Friend is showing up, and I am particularly excited about Greg Wise, um, who is probably best known for playing John Willoughby in Sense and Sensibility, and also for, during the course of Sense and Sensibility, going, man, That Emma Thompson is something great. Right. I might just
2: hang out and
1: wait and see what happens to her marriage. (laughs) And he did. And they've been married since 2003. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Anybody who's like, that Emma Thompson It works for me. Yeah. (laughs) like Way to go, Brad.
2: That's the title of our new Emma Thompson podcast. That Emma Thompson. You
1: know what? I could absolutely do an Emma Thompson podcast. I love Emma Thompson. Yes. And not just because she gets drunk at award shows, although that is (laughs) one of my favorite things about her, but God, she is just very good at basically everything. Indeed, She is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm also very excited about Strange Angel. I'm going to have to. Hashtag Keep strangel. on having that CBS All Access subscription.
0: <laughs> yeah, Al- again, Allison, I think you meant Strangel. I yeah. didn't
1: mean Strangel.
0: I-, I think deep down We're going to make strangel. it happen. I'm
1: pretty sure I didn't. Clint. Yes. <laughs> what are your picks for the solid contenders?
2: Well, when I thought of solid contenders, I thought of picking perhaps the most solid contender.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, Perhaps, perhaps rock solid, perhaps bulletproof contender, and that is uh, Luke Cage. Now, in terms of Netflix Marvel shows, second seasons uh, tend to not go great. Like Jessica Jones was perfectly fine, but it was a step down from season one. Apart from the first four episodes of season two, Daredevil wasn't too great. But uh, Luke Cage season two, I'm holding out hope because the first season had a lot of great stuff with it, and I think they're they're hopefully they're learning their lessons. Um, they're sort of taking their hits and uh, and moving moving forward. Luke Cage season one put him in a very different, very interesting place. I think season two is going to go more towards the heroes for hire thing. Where like, you know, we're going to have a lot of the characters we love from the first season of Luke Cage. Uh, Misty Knight's back now with a bionic fucking arm, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Claire Temple's back. I think she she's probably maybe this is the best use of her um, in the Marvel in the Netflix Marvel universe is on Luke Cage because they they are romantically involved. Alfre Woodard's back, which is great because I stand for her back in the uh, uh, Hall of Faces episode for that. And then we get new villain Bushmaster, played by Mustafa Shakir. He's been on a, in a few things. He was in an episode of Timeless. He was in the Watergate episode of Timeless. And a few other things. He was in Brawl and Cell Block 99. Here's hoping that he, maybe he overcomes the villain problem. I'm not sure. But we also get notable guests like Iron Fist. He's going to be great. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Um, but also... People
1: um, can't, people can't tell that sarcasm. Okay, you were, fine. Too, you, I'm just letting you know, you were too convincing oh, there. Fine, and I just can't let people think we're a young podcast. Yeah, if people are finding us for the first time, I don't want them to hear you be excited about Danny Rand. I
2: guess shrugs don't don't carry. They through don't. The microphone. You can't hear them.
1: You, in fact, all you can really hear is the sound of two aluminum cans clinking together. <laughs>
2: It's so sad. But one unironic, non-sarcastic, notable guest role is Reggie Cathy, um, because I think it's going to be one of his last roles on screen is is here, which I think and I think he's playing Luke Cage's dad, which I think is going to be an interesting uh, deal. So, yeah, it's going to be continuing the show. Um, I'm looking forward to I'll 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 see it. Of course, I'll see it. Um, I'm hoping it'll be a lot more interesting even in quality than Luke Cage, which sort of vary, varied between like extreme highs and extreme lows. Um, so I'm hoping for a little bit more consistency there.
1: One like insider baseball note about Luke Cage, sure. I should say. Part of the reason that I'm excited for Luke Cage, yeah. Um, and I haven't started yet, and frankly couldn't say if I could because I had to sign away my life, and that's what you do when you get Marvel screeners. Yeah. Um, but I got screeners for the entire season of Luke Cage, more than two months early. Yeah. Um, which is insane.
3: That
2: is <laughs> So rare.
1: I think that is the mark of a lot of confidence I think that's a mark of a lot of confidence on Netflix's part and what we have coming to us, and I think that's a very promising
2: sign. That is, I, I'm very excited too. To, I'm very excited to hear that news. Um, but the other show, the other returning show, I'm talking about in terms of solid contenders, which is just, I'm just excited for it to come back, even if it's a show that has waned a bit in quality since it has returned. And that is the fifth season of Arrested Development. I still think there's a bit of life there, even though there's, you know. Issues with, like, they've I think they filmed this before all the Tambor stuff came out, and um, almost everyone in that cast is a huge star now, so I'm sure scheduling was even more nightmarish this time around than before. Um, but I still think maybe it's worth checking out for those essential beats. Like when the show is still on, it's on. So I, I'm looking forward to the continuing adventures of the Bluth family. Um, I'm looking forward to figuring out where the hell they're even going with any of this stuff, with like Lindsay running for office and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's it the show works best anymore when it's a vehicle for those sort of long form narrative jokes. And I'm looking forward to that kind of like delayed interplay between like, a setup in one episode and a payoff in the other um, that things like streaming services like Netflix are really, really good at. So I don't really have much to say other than like the trailer looked kind of interesting. You
1: watched all of the remix, yeah?
2: I did. Uh The movie, uh, sorry, the remix version, it's slightly of better season than four s- Of season four. um, is a is a bit more comprehensible, but they have to do a lot more work for it. So like the beginnings of a lot of episodes are a lot of like Ron Howard narration recaps of shit we've seen just to like set you up for like for the times when, in the original version of season four, things were going on at the same time, but played out in different episodes. They sort of like, okay, stop, let's catch you up. And now here's what George Michael's doing. And here's what Tobias is doing at the same time, in this thing. So it can be a little convoluted and messy, but, um, they do add a few other like great little bits like, uh, bringing Liza Minnelli back for her part in the in the trial in the crab shack. But as far as I know, that wasn't in the original season and she wasn't available. So she, so they green screened her and they made a voiceover joke about how she looks about, you know, the, um, her being green screened. It's dumb. I don't know what they're doing with like the whole pay disparity thing, but I don't know. That's my thought about it. <laughs> it's very I have very complicated feelings about Arrested Development. We, we
0: have no answers for the economics of Hollywood here at TV Party, unfortunately. No, alas. Um, but, Allison, what
2: are your solid, solid contenders? Uh,
1: first, did, did we talk last week about Claire Foy getting back pay for the crown? No. Yeah. So Claire Foy got back pay for the Crown. Thank Speaking God. Speaking of pay disparity. Good. Netflix went back and paid her what the the difference between her salary. and
0: No Matt one. Smith's. No one's talking about Matt Smith in the Crown. I hate to say that's not to say he's bad in it. He's actually very, very good he's in it. Very yeah. good in it. There but, was, but there
1: was too much Philip in season two, and that's not a dig on Matt Smith. That's yeah, like a dig the, on the character. I think the the writers think we're more interested in Philip than we actually are because mm. I am interested in Philip but I am interested in Philip as a part of Elizabeth's life yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean um the keyword being Elizabeth there so anyway right. um, it's the
2: tischer role
1: speaking of series where i'm way more interested in the women than in the men uh, my solid contender my first solid contender is the return of the bold type one of last summer's most unexpected hits a big hit for freeform and it's first sort of opening salvo and their push to do programming that's a little more thoughtful and a little more sophisticated which continues um have you checked out siren yet
2: no, I have to get on that. Thing? That's yeah, uh, yeah,
1: that has got some pretty good buzz too. So I, I have keep to get on seeing that.
2: the billboards and I'm like, I, I just giggle, but yeah. I also felt that way about Crazy Ex Girlfriend, yeah. So, um,
1: well, the bold type for those who didn't catch season one is a series based on the life of Joanna Cole, um, the magazine entrepreneur and um, one of the starring lights at Cosmopolitan. Um, she Uh, has lived a lot of life and the result in sort of putting it into a blender and coming up with something new is The Bold Type which follows three young women who are working at a magazine aimed at young women in New York City Um, they're all very charming and they have extremely different life experiences Kat um, comes from Money is working as a social media editor and over the course of the first season starts to ask some questions about her sexual orientation leading to one of the relationships most likely to get you either a bunch of love or a bunch of anger on Twitter if you dare to engage with it because people love Kadina um, that is Cat and Adina uh, Adina played by Nicole Boucheri um, Adina Elamine um Who is a Muslim uh, openly gay photographer and she and Kat fall in love and have a pretty rocky road in that first (coughs) season. Really great story. Then there is Jay and um, and Kat is played by Aisha D who is really, really great and was also on – MTV's Sweet Vicious. God, is it called Sweet Vicious? It is, isn't it? I'm having a... I'm not sure.
2: It is is Sweet Vicious. That's right. I did hear about that show.
0: MTV's (laughs) short-lived rape revenge 30-minute dramedy. Right.
1: (laughs) Which was... Very good. Yeah, um, I heard good things about it. The showrunner from that is now coming over to Run the Bold type. They have switched showrunners, but I'm but because they collaborated before and because she seems a really good fit for a story about what young women, I'm very excited about that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Aisha D., who is very good. She's probably my favorite of the three. Then there's Jane, played by Katie Stevens, uh, a writer who is struggling to sort of be better and find her voice and survive in the click economy. Um who deals with quite a lot over the course of her first season, including getting sued by someone about a piece she wrote about them. Um, Dealing with finding out whether or not she has the breast cancer gene, which is one of the best episodes of the season. Uh, Really, really good and fun character. Um, The third is Sutton, played by Megan Fahey, um, a woman who does not come from money and has had to work really hard to get put herself through college, now is here in a job that presumably will lead to other jobs that will make her a lot of money, but all she wants to do is work in fashion. And uh, about how she sort of struggles with that, as well as with uh, some romantic entanglements, all three of them are great. They are well-rounded characters, and it's an incredibly believable friendship. Very early in the series, <laughs> um, one of the the young woman women gets a uh, a, a little um, mm, mm, sex toy stuck in her body, <laughs> okay. and uh, a friend has to reach in and get it out. It's that kind of show. Right. Um, it's just really delightful. It ended season one with one of the best. Uh, rape storylines i've ever seen done on television where they were doing a story about a performance artist who is carrying weight and the sort of the weights of the criminal justice system to bring awareness to her own rape in which no one was convicted Um, that story prominently features jacqueline carlisle who is the editor-in-chief who you think is going to be a miranda priestly-esque figure of terror but who is instead it totally subverts the evil boss trope in a really wonderful way it's one of my favorite little performances on tv um, played by melora harden who is just a delight in fucking everything Um, and she is lovely throughout the series but takes a very important role in that episode and i wrote a lot about it at the time at the av club um, but cannot wait to see it come back and see what it's going to become so if you have any interest in the stories of women which you should Um, I really recommend the bold type. It is great.
3: Wonderful. Uh,
1: My second pick for Salad Contender is another story about ladies and their bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. This is The Return of Hulu's Harlots, um, which is a story about two warring brothels in the 18th century. One run by uh, Samantha Morton, well, not by Samantha Morton, but run by a character played by Samantha Morton, mm-hmm. um, who is one of my favorite actors. Um, the other, run by a person played by Leslie Manville, one of my other <laughs> favorite actors. Um, they The costumes are incredible. The Cinematography is incredible. The costuming is predictably incredible, Um, but it's just really good at making sure these this story about women, about sex workers in this time, are really centering on their stories and their agency, and the way that they feel about their bodies. And it's just really, really good. Um, So I'll keep that one short. But I'm very excited for Harlots to come back.
2: Nice. It's another show I need to. I keep seeing things for, and I really want to see because I love. It's in our
1: preview. I I sort of described it as a Hulu show about women's bodies and lives and agency that starts with an H that isn't The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's a really, really good watch. Nice. Nice. Uh, So mm-hmm. before we get to our top picks, nope, uh, I'm not going to do that. That comes later. I was looking at the wrong thing. Oh, so yeah. we've arrived at our top picks and I'm, I'm excited here. to hear what you guys picked because I definitely can't see it on an outline in front of me. What? <laughs> Glenn, You're what is your. Breaking the
0: illusion. Of the,
1: the many things on mm. TV this summer, what is your top pick?
2: Well, it's kind of funny that my top pick for the summer TV preview is just basically a swan song for a show that's already been canceled. But my top pick is the finale movie uh, that Netflix is putting out for Sensate, one of its um, boldest, most brilliant, most. Formally ambitious and unfairly underseen shows. Um, Sensei means a lot to me. It's a show that much like a lot of things that the Wachowski sisters have done, especially of late, like you can say what you want about Jupiter ascending, you could say what you want about Speed Racer or Cloud Atlas,
0: but they are masters at this really fun daring.
1: Don Don would like to say what he wants about Speed Racer. Speed Dude.
0: Racer's great and it should have been a franchise and you're all monsters because you didn't go see it in a theater so no one loves it. End of point.
2: Yes. I completely (laughs) agree. And that's the thing. Like, That's one of the greatest appeals about Speed Racer and all that other stuff. Even the stuff that people sort of shit on is that they are so earnest and sincere and there's like this bubbling core of humanity underneath it mm-hmm. um that is that is present, especially in Sensei. And I think Sensei is like the, the magnum opus of what they, along with J. Michael Straczynski, who uh, people know for writing a lot of comics and also Babylon 5, which even if its production values don't hold up, it still goes down as one of the best written sci-fi shows of the history of television. Sensei got two great seasons on Netflix. They managed to survive... Um, recasting a role in a show that is predicated upon these eight specific individuals who have a psychic link and still manage to make it work just even the premise itself lends itself to all these beautiful formal experiments that like you really have to be on their wavelength for like if you watch sense eight and you're not on board by the time eight different people are inspired to sing for non blondes to themselves and you think that's stupid, you're not gonna be on board. But if you are, then get ready for all the psychic orgies your your little eyes can handle. <laughs> the I, I the way I describe it sounds kind of lascivious and tawdry. But there is it it is Rooted in this essential sentiment, this incredibly sentimental show that says that there there is this essential humanity in all of us, and we if, if we could only understand what our perspectives are like are all of our different perspectives you know this this cluster of people that it's like you know yeah, there's the typical like handsome white guy who's a cop from Chicago, but there's also you know a trans woman who's also an activist in San Francisco and um you know a bus driver in Nigeria and uh, you know this this Indian woman who is a uh, who's a doctor who's ha- facing her own troubles, and there's there's this beautiful. Avenue for all these different kinds of stories while also carrying this underarching this overarching story of these people chasing them for being different and I feel like it's such this this huge beautiful metaphor for um, the ways in which we all feel different at certain points and the ways in which we all want to cry out for this sense of community and the fact that we can find that and it's one of the most unabashedly LGBT forward stories um, on television and it was so it was so expensive but it showed its money everywhere. By, by filming around the world. It, wasn't, it was a sci-fi show that didn't take place for once in a back lot in Vancouver. Like they actually filmed in Africa. They filmed in India. They filmed in Hong Kong. Um, and so it feels like a truly international, it feels like a truly global show. And I think especially now we need stories like that. So it was such a crying shame that I got canceled. And so this is another one of those things that I kind of wish happens with The Expanse where the fan outpouring is so extreme and so vibrant. And it happened with Brooklyn Nine-Nine that they're like okay we've heard you we are we can't give you a third season but we will give you a series finale to wrap it up and it's happening on June 8th and i cannot wait
1: i should say I guess maybe find us on Twitter or you can email TV Party at consequenceofsound.net or Facebook, whatever. Um, there is a screening in Chicago on mm-hmm. May 25th at the Music Box where the Wachowskis and some members of the cast are going to be doing a Q&A following a screening of this final episode. Um, if y'all are interested in that, maybe we'll do a little meetup either before be or great. after um, just to kind of talk about it and hang out and have, I don't know, a TV party. What? Ah! That's Boo. why we're
0: called,
2: That's why we're called <laughs> you. that.
1: Um, yeah, no, give so, her give her
2: that one. You know, I've been hogging them.
1: I don't I don't know um whether or not any of you who are based in Chicago are Sense8 fans, but if you are, tell us and we can all get together and bid farewell to this wonderful show yeah. and um and have a few drinks and probably talk about how sad we are that Deception. <laughs>
2: because the oh. sensate deception the desensate crew oh yeah there's very, a lot of overlap it's, the venn diagram is basically our rarest
0: simple. fandom yes
1: <laughs> i promise talk we won't talk about deception
0: capital and we can sh- talk about other
1: shit we can talk about whatever you want exactly. including sensate uh if you would be interested in that send us an email or find us on twitter or facebook or whatever yeah. um clint and i will probably go anyway but yeah, 100%. um yeah anyway that is that is Clint's top pick. That is that my is top pick. That is his number one pick.
2: You sensed that it was my top summer.
1: pick. For Summer. Yeah. God, uh, it.
2: Dom, what's your pick?
1: Uh, is it something that has to do with wrestling?
0: It is, Allison.
1: <laughs> Great. I
2: Shockingly,
0: to complete my quota on TV party, and now that Atlanta's done and wrestling's in its off season, I don't know what I'm going to come on here to talk about anymore. I, but... say, I think
2: I have Dom Bingo now.
0: Yeah, you basically have Dominic Suzanne Mayer bingo now. Because no, we haven't
1: talked about Inherent Vice yet.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> true. That's very true. Well, that was true. my free spot, so. <laughs> because that's that's like that's not an if, that's a when with me. But yeah. anyway, I'm here to talk about Genji Cohen's Glow, one of the breakout hits of last summer and one of Netflix's bigger breakouts of the past year in general. I have to admit... I was really pleasantly surprised that people who are not me loved Glow as much as they did because I figured Glow would be one of those things where I was like, Thank you, Netflix, for making programming that is specifically tailored to my sensibilities. Audience of one. Exactly. And then it would get canceled unceremoniously and whatever. Because when I heard that Netflix, even with Genji Cohen, who's basically untouchable there right now, was putting together a show about 80s women's wrestling, I was like, Okay. Especially since it's glow. And for as charming as Glow is, it is also brutally dated in a lot of respects. So the really brilliant thing about the first season of the show is the way in which it draws direct attention to that and turns 80s women's wrestling in like a kitschy side company shot in a studio in particular and turns it into a parable for the condition of growing up as a young woman in this world and particularly one trying to grow up in... The entertainment industry, and I emphasize grow up because some of the women are adults and some of them are barely out of their teenage years, mm-hmm. and they're all ring led by Mark Marin, who is just superb in that first That's season. That's the most
2: surprising thing about Glow is like, okay, he's had his own like IFC show or whatever,
0: but he's not just a persona, he gets to play a character, and he's actually surprisingly great in it. Yeah, and he he's basically, by his own admission, playing himself in the 1980s. Yeah. But also he manages to become the ringleader of this really charming cast of women. And what's kind of amazing is that Alison Brie is wonderful on the show, and there's an episode with her and Marin. Those those of you sitting with me know exactly the one I'm talking about—that was one of the highlights of television last year because it's just so sweet and honest and real about an ugly kind of scenario. I think that, in general, like, look, building a story— About society, using wrestling as a metaphor, is basically built in a laboratory for me specifically to love. (laughs) But I also feel like it does something really universal that wrestling does at its best when it's not like terrible and especially in the 1980s, like deeply reductive and racist a lot of the time. And it manages to tell deeply human and emotional stories in this grand back of the house performative way and I think glow at once manages to nail that feeling while also nailing how shitty and thankless becoming a professional wrestler is and will always be mm-hmm.
2: and Allison Bree is wonderful playing against type but I have to give it up for Betty Gilpin she's
1: it's one of my favorite it's
2: incredible.
1: It on all of TV,
2: yeah, and, and both of them are great, and like and like you said, most of the rest of the girls of Glow are are fantastic. Um, oh, oh, absolutely,
0: yeah. and. They occasionally sneak in actual wrestlers, which feels like (laughs) a little gift to me. Like, their impossibly chiseled tutor in the pilot episode of Glow was current wrestling star Johnny Mundo or Johnny Impact, depending on which company he's wrestling in. That's neither here nor there. The point is, it's got a little something for everyone. It's got something for the diehards. It's got something for people who could not be bothered to give the slightest fuck about professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I think that, as much as anything, puts over how good it has been so far. And I'm really, really hoping that this second season can expand on that.
2: Nice. Well, I hope that glow sticks around
0: for a third season. Boo. (laughs) You had to like, you sorry. that
1: one's a yay. That's a yay. (laughs) That's not a boo.
0: But when you have to, like, double over backwards, is your spine okay going through all those contortions? That was
1: very natural. He could have accidentally stumbled into that pun. Okay, that's true. I walked He could have pumbled into it. (gasps) Thank you. (laughs) You know what's hilarious? Clint, Mm -hmm. you stayed very on brand and picked a kind of, like, weirdo, oddball, let's love our eccentricities and differences. Yeah. Genre genre-tinged yeah. series, Dom picked the only show on television that's fictional about professional wrestling.
0: Yes, to the best of my knowledge, right. that's yeah. true at this time. Everything else is a documentary.
1: And I am going to give tens, tens, tens across the board <laughs> to Ryan Murphy's Pose, mm. uh, the last series that he's creating for for FX, um, like Shonda Rhimes, he... Uh, made the leap to the land of streaming and loads of money, Netflix, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not to say there will not still be Ryan Murphy projects on FX. There will be, but this is his last. Um, Pose is just... It's just going to be so fucking good. Um, so it is the largest cast of transgender actors ever assembled for television. Um, it is about the 1980s ball scene in New York, um, which for those who don't know, if you think Madonna invented voguing, you are deeply misinformed. Um, <laughs> if, In fact, I would say, I'll, let me say this, this, my, so Pose is my number one pick for TV for the summer Um, I think it is likely to be a huge hit uh, and even if it is flawed which because it's a Ryan Murphy joint it's likely to be at least a little bit flawed Will almost certainly be visually compelling, filled with incredible performances and with moments that we're going to talk about all summer long. Mm -hmm. So it's a really solid bet for a show to watch. Um, If you want to do some prep work before you watch Pose, I highly recommend the documentary Paris is Burning, which I think recently Mm -hmm. returned to Netflix, which is a huge inspiration on the series. There is some sort of behind-the-scenes drama where the documentarian that created Paris is Burning was supposed to be involved and then is not involved because Murphy was worried about having too many white people behind the scenes, which, to his credit, is a good thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, but it, it's got a very diverse cast. Um, the writers include Our Lady J and Janet Mock. So there are transgender writers working on the show. Um Uh, It just looks dynamite. Uh, So watch Paris is Burning and you'll have an idea of what's coming. But basically, in New York in the 80s, there were houses. If you've heard the term house in the world of drag, that's where this comes from. Mm -hmm. Groups of... Uh, designers and dancers and performers and models who would come together and go to these balls which were a space where where everybody could celebrate each other, where everyone could sort of be a queen or a king and they could show off for each other and celebrate their lives in a culture that was incredibly hostile to them. Uh, And I cannot wait to see this particular take on it. The trailers have been incredibly promising. The design looks amazing. The cast looks amazing. Uh, I just think this is going to be a winner, um, even if it's not always great Mm -hmm. I should also mention there is a terrific very interesting profile of Ryan Murphy in the New Yorker that Emily Nussbaum that their uh, Pulitzer winning TV critic did that I think is an incredibly compelling read Uh, so seek that out if you want some more information about the show and the last thing I'll say is that Ryan Murphy is donating all of his profits from the show to charities that support transgender people Mm -hmm. Uh, he is posting one charity I think it's one charity a week in the run-up to Pose, uh, so you'll know where the money he's making is going, which I think is a great way of actually literally putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm very, very excited about Pose. But you picked your genre-y celebration of weirdness, which is great. You picked your delightful wrestling show, which is great. And I picked... Pose. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I feel
2: like all three of our shows in certain respects play with gender a little bit, Absolutely. Too. So, like, I think that's, that's, yep. that's an, we're working on a theme.
1: Yes. Well, um, and they're all fabulous. Like, they all have moments where you're like, that is sick.
2: And uh-huh. in the
1: good way, in the good right. way. It's like, just in case you were thinking, I meant sick the other way, just like you couldn't hear Clint's shrug. Right. Um. I mean, like like yeah, yeah, like that kind of yeah. sick um, I'm very very excited about Pose maybe we yeah. should have Sutton Lee back on to talk about Pose yeah, I was going to try to bring her back on for oh God, she was the Drag Race finale but yeah. maybe we'll bring her on to talk about Pose too mm-hmm. uh, I should say there are 15 more great shows that you can read about in our TV preview, which you can find at sound.net, which includes writing from the three of us as well as Michael Rothman and the great Kate Kulsic. Hi, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird not having you here this week. <laughs>
3: it's
2: yeah. like
1: what? Mm, what mm, uh, we haven't talked about violin at all today, right? <laughs> this, something is not right. Um, we anyway, did
2: watch a mini series, uh, a web series that featured violin. That's true. Yeah, yeah
1: there is some violin so playing in it. And for Megan, was with yeah. us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Today. So with that, rather than <laughs> picking what's coming for the summer, perhaps we should pick what's coming But before next week. we do that though. Oh yes. Uh,
2: we have a little extra little extra treat for all you Chicago TV partiers out there. Um, we're doing our first live show. We we were handed a very interesting opportunity by a hotel called Hotel Moxie that's in down that's downtown Chicago that's by River North I think it's on LaSalle and it's uh, I've had the privilege of uh, of going there and checking out the spaces. It's like Fun, quirky little like millennial hipster kind of hotel where they have like these cool cushions and like board games and stuff. But one of their biggest uh polls now is they have this podcast booth, and it is literally a booth, like a, like a glass box. But they're doing like a whole they're what they're calling the Sound Off podcast series, where they're premiering this new lobby with a few podcasts. And TV Party is going to be one of them. And so, if you're in Chicago and happen to have the afternoon off on Wednesday, May 16th, from four to six, I believe, Allison and I will be there doing a live episode of TV Party at Hotel Moxie.
1: We are going to be talking about a bunch of things. We have yet to complete the list, but we yes. figured the best way to to talk about TV and what might be a bar full of strangers mm-hmm. where we because originally we were like oh this is great this will be our doctor Who episode and then we remembered that just because we love Doctor who doesn't mean everyone does yeah. um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have conversations like what is the best bar on television what is the best? who is the best fictional lawyer in TV history yeah what's the best TV catchphrase <laughs> all best TV theme song
2: shotgun style and then Potpourri. we are also
1: gonna debate the best doctor but that's you know you have yeah. to give us one uh, so I'm very excited about that that you should come see it and have a drink. Please don't worry if you're not off work until 5. Tickets
2: are free. Just show up.
1: Just show up. And you okay. don't have to show up at 4. Just show up. It should be really, really
2: fun. Anytime between 4 and 6. We would love to see you.
1: And we'll hang out after. Exactly. We can talk about whether or not we're all going to go see Sense8.
2: Um. So now that we have that live show plug out of the way, let's talk about our picks for next week. Allison. What do you want to watch next
1: week? Oh, I'm going to cheat and pick three things. I'm really sorry. (sighs) But I thought of one, and then I thought of another one that I had to talk about. And then I thought of a third one that I definitely had to talk about. So uh, my first pick. And I'm just, I'm not even really going to say anything about it. But if you've been watching The Americans this season, all I need to say to fill you with dread is that the next title is, the next episode title is The Summit. It's the thing that they've been talking about all season. It's been one of the most pressing things in Elizabeth's spy life. Um, It means that probably all kinds of shit is going to go down. uh, And we're fast approaching the end. So the show is sort of um, rather quickly inching closer and closer to just being a a kgb versus fbi story Mm -hmm. and that is terrifying um they set up some things in this week's episode which was excellent uh mostly having to do with stan's interest in their many disappearances at long last and um with page's um mm, questionable sc- spy skills and with poor henry being so in the dark uh that it just feels like doom is speeding right towards the jenning's family so yeah the summit i'm uh to say i'm looking forward to it would be incorrect hmm. um i anticipate it being excellent and upsetting
3: my next pick
1: is the first installment of the excellent PBS slash BBC adaptation of Little Women by the time you're hearing this part one will have already aired it airs Sunday night but you'll have parts two and three in your future the great thing about this adaptation of Little Women which is written by the creator of Call the Midwife is that it treats all of these women like people like flawed people and not in a sort of idealized romantic literary sense where they all have their great characteristics and they all have their not great characteristics. And listen, I love the Winona Ryder Little Women. I love the Little Women adaptation from the 1940s. There's a pretty great musical. There have been great stage adaptations, but this is the first one where everybody felt real and flawed and where it felt really intimate and looking at their lives. Um, I cannot speak highly enough of it. I liked it so, so much. I've got a review of that at RogerEbert.com, but honestly, just watch it. If you need more convincing, Emily Watson plays Marmee. Like an actual human, which is amazing. And Angela Lansbury, Dame Angela Lansbury, plays Aunt March, and she's terrific, and she's got a parrot, and it bites on people's hair and stuff. Oh, shit, I'm Um, sold. It's really, really, and it's beautiful to look at, and it has this delightful little theme song that goes over the opening credits, where the music's by Andrew Bird, and the animation is just pretty, and
0: it's great. (laughs) My
1: third pick is... The season finale, hopefully not the series finale, and it should be said NBC has announced ca- cancellations and Timeless was not one of them. Yeah. So there is a chance that we're going to get a third season of Timeless. I have to say the last episode that I watched, and I have not watched the finale yet, is great, like capital G great, funny, weird surprising sad sentimental just wonderful um have you watched it yet
2: no no the last one i watched was mrs sherlock holmes well this
1: one it uh, i'll just give you the setup without spoiling anything the most recent episode the time team goes back to 1981 because the mothership has gone to 1981 they assume they're there to make sure that president reagan is not assassinated it's the day of the attempted assassination of Ronald reagan by john hinckley and it turns out that it's not but it's because agent Christopher is a cop in Washington DC at the time and the mothership has decided to go after agent Christopher because if they take out agent Christopher in 1981 there is no timeless oh. so the entire premise of the show
2: disappears they will be timelessless
1: it, so it's a lot of Sakina Jaffrey it's ugh i can't believe you (laughs) it's a lot of (laughs) it's a lot of sakina jaffrey Uh um it's a lot of a really wonderful young actress who plays her in 1981 um it's just a really really good episode the finale is a two part two hour episode i hope to god that it is not the series finale and just a season finale and i will say our own kate calls hi kate uh, okay. texted me to tell me that she because if you remember from last week Kate is a little hesitant about Timeless yeah. or was because she texted me to say that this finale was incredible and it got her fully on board. Oh shit. So I am so excited to watch it and um yeah and I really really hope that the fact that it has not yet been cancelled by NBC means there's a chance that we'll be getting a third season.
2: Yes I can't wait to see that episode and absorb it in all of its timelessness. Ugh. Don,
1: uh, what are you seeing
0: next week?
2: Uh, what are
1: you
0: about? I, before the two of you actively kill each other in front of me in this small podcast room, yeah. I'm going to move on. And we're going to talk briefly about the royal wedding, a thing I'm very the qualified to talk wedding. about. I'm not qualified to talk about the royal wedding. But anyway, um, the guy in England is marrying an American lady.
3: <laughs> and oh, She's Canadian. She's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, no. I was remembering the Julia Styles vehicle, the prince in me, so forgive me. I was getting my wires crossed a little bit, but be that as it that may, happy. Um, <laughs> royalty is marrying not royalty, who will subsequently become royalty, and a lot of people are going to be on the parade route. I believe they call it a parade when people get married, right? <laughs> sure. And And then... Um, As if that wasn't enough incentive for you to tune in to a political social spectacle that even the British have a lot of weird feelings about, let me point you to HBO, where Corden Tish, a.k.a. Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon, will be doing live commentary on the royal wedding while it happens.
1: (laughs) If you're not going to be up at... 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, 5.30 Mountain, 4.30 Pacific. Uh, (laughs) HBO will be rebroadcasting it that evening. Uh, But I want you to know, and because I'm saying into a microphone, Mm -hmm. he's going to feel more pressured to follow through. I jokingly suggested that as repayment for me watching all of WrestleMania that Dominic come over to my house at 6.30 in the morning for Royal Mania.
0: (laughs) And dear listener, I'm truly thinking about it. It's um, if we're putting it in wrestling terms, it's gonna be an event for the ages. um if i if I could vince McMahon it for a bit live this Saturday morning, there's gonna be a beautiful royal wedding. There's gonna be pageantry, spectacle, all the things you ever wanted to see in a royal affair. And why I, does Vince McMahon sound so much like Jordan Peterson? I listen, my Vince is not great. And if I wanted to get as gravelly as I need to sound to do a proper Vince McMahon, I'd probably slaughter my vocal cords.
1: You know what's funny is I don't actually know whether or not that was a good Vince McMahon impression. Yeah. It,
0: it both was and wasn't. It was Schrodinger's it was, Vince.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was, it was passable, passable. No, I, I'm, I'm excited that you're looking forward to Regal Mania, the Battle Royalty. If you will. Uh,
1: I feel like I should say that I actually am looking forward to this, but it's mostly because I am just fascinated by the intense thought that people in the british upper class and specifically in the royal family have to put into literally every piece of clothing they put on their body and so it's like intense speculation about what Meghan markle is going to be wearing and what it's going to say about her approach to being a member of this family and what harry is going to wear and the designers they're picking and how how much or little of her skin and her body is going to be revealing and what what Kate's going to wear there and what Elizabeth is going to wear and it's what jewelry is going to be worn or not worn. And there's yeah. a rumor that Megan is going to wear Diana's crown, which Kate wasn't allowed to do. And it's just, I am very excited lot. about all of that bullshit because <laughs> clothing um, is inherently political it just is particularly yeah. when it's on a woman's body so i'm very well, interested. after the coronation
2: was never the same
1: i'm very very interested yeah. in uh this and if so don doesn't come over at 6 i will not be watching Crown. it live if he does come over at 6 30 i will be watching it live so uh, you
0: i feel like the the hook in this is that you've asked me to come over which means you have to be up by about 6 a.m oh, <laughs> yeah. so
1: i'll make fucking pancakes
0: do well, I, I I don't know if I can say no to royal pancakes. I'll be entirely <laughs> honest. I'll put
1: like I, I, brumble berries or some shit into it. I'll put some like fancy
0: that essential. British you know what?
1: Boy. I'll get black currant jam Ooh. and clotted cream.
0: That actually mm. sounds delicious. Yeah, so yeah, yeah.
1: we're gonna get real British up in this bitch. It's gonna we be. Will, a I have a teapot. We'll make tea from leaves, not from bags. <laughs> It'll be real fucking British.
0: It's going to be lit. It's not.
2: It's, no, it's not. not lit, unfortunately. I was going
0: to say, it's basically just given what you're saying about the sartorial choices and their Sorry, it's gonna social be well value. Lit. yeah. But given yeah. the sartorial choices and their value, I feel like this is just a drag race finale with no sense of humor at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> well,
1: they put considerably more thought into what they wear than drag queens do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they have more than four hours.
1: Although, you know what? We haven't talked about this week's drag race and we're not going to now, but there yeah. were some looks in this oh, week's yeah. drag I've, race. I'm,
2: I still need to catch up on that Ooh,
1: one. There are some good looks. Mm. Very good looks. Anyway. Beautiful. Uh, Clint. Yeah. What is your pick?
2: My pick is, uh, I, well, so I started the show lamenting a show that will probably be canceled, and I will end the show uh, celebrating that a previously canceled show has been rescued. And so I will talk about the season finale, not series finale Oh, that's so great. Of Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 5, uh, <laughs> Jake and Amy. This is a thing that um, a lot of sitcoms, I think, dread. The wedding of the two main characters, the Sam and Diane sort of thing. And um, But I think that Brooklyn Nine-Nine has done a really good job of getting those two leads together and having them be a couple but still be interesting. And I think that Jake and Amy's wedding is going to be just as interesting. Um, And so I think it's a great way to end this season. I think maybe if, for whatever reason, we didn't have NBC rescue it, maybe this would have been a decent way to end it, you know, like – It's going to be maybe a challenge to see how a season six handles a married Jake and Amy. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to capping off a really great fifth season of a sitcom that did not deserve this like 24 hours of mayhem that has preceded it this week. I'm excited for it in the way I'm excited for any given Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode.
1: Yeah, I am also excited for it. Mm-hmm. You can look for Brooklyn Nine-Nine finale coverage <sighs> by our own Clint Worthington what? at ConsequenceofSound.net Ooh. once that happens.
2: I'm excited to write it. I am
1: very excited for it to be written <gasps> and also for it to not be a lament for how there's no more Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know. I'm very excited. It's not unprecedented. Scrubs made the switch from NBC to ABC. Mm-hmm. I think there's one other instance I'm not remembering.
0: Medium. Medium. Uh, medium went medium. from NBC to CBS <laughs> Thank and you. Me, I don't understand why I'm an authority on medium news, but here I am.
1: You know what's funny is well, it should have been on, it should have been on CBS to begin with. Which is appropriate well, because it, Brooklyn Nine Nine should have been on NBC to begin yeah. with, and NBC passed on the Brooklyn Nine Nine pilot.
2: So, what was the deal? Like, the, it tested better at Fox,
1: and so I'm, like I don't that's know. what I
2: think. That's what I think I read. But anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter? It's, it's going back to its
0: rightful home. Well, it's legitimately negligible now. In fact, You're right.
1: I'm just really excited that there is more of it, and um, and yeah. I'm sure it being a Michael Shore joint that there will be some you're light sure self-rent. That there will be some light self referential commentary on the Switch at some point in uh, the next season. And yeah, I'm just very, very excited.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited. That's a really good uh, cross section of summer TV and the things we're looking for next week and this week and all that stuff. So uh,
1: uh, you can find us on Twitter at TV Party COS. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash TV Party Pod. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can email us at TVParty at Consequence of You can also find us individually at some of those places. I'm on. The old tweeter at Allison Shoe. You can also hear me on the podcast Podlander Drunk Cast and Outlander Podcast, which is exactly what it sounds like and is also doing a live show at Hotel (laughs) Moxie. So go ahead and find us at Podlander Cast on Twitter for more information about that. Um, We're going to get sloppy drunk and talk about Scottish penises. It is the 24th why are you putting me on the spot you asshole it's the 24th, 24th. we are on thursday the 24th from 5 to 7 p.m and we're going to talk about scott's peen
2: well well i mean
1: among other things but we always end up talking about scottish penis it's just well, there
2: you go that's what you gotta it's, do it's part of the thing you gotta
0: see those bagpipes i don't know
1: mm, no
0: no four out of ten at best perhaps,
1: perhaps. no i mean i'm doing this earnest contemplation and yeah. it's just it's not the right shape uh, um however we will also be talking about other Scottish things. We we we, jock, we talk about chefs a lot, Ooh. which is Scottish for shifts. Oh. Um, we talk about actors with great talent and unpronounceable last names. <laughs> um, we do a lot of talking about uh, costuming and about boners and about um i don't know how to hide hats, boners and costuming and occasionally um one of us will get sort of silly and end up doing an entire song not originally in a scottish accent in a scottish accent um the high watermark for that is probably lose yourself um it was great mom spaghetti he's nervous but on the surface he had exclamated to throw bombs. anyway that's great uh yeah so uh, you can anyway you can find me those places Clint where can people find you
2: (laughs) Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AlkaHollywood and as the co-host of the podcast AlkaHollywood which is also getting a Hotel Moxie live show that will be the first one Monday May 14th at from 4 to 6 p.m. which is
1: the day you're hearing this so
2: pretty much so better run on over Um, (laughs) we're gonna be talking about Dunstan Checks in because we were like we're doing a podcast in a hotel and we didn't think of The Shining first um (laughs) 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 <laughs> you nuts <putz. laughs> You can find us there and the podcast itself at AlkaHollywood.com. I'm also the co-host of Nathan Rabin's Happy Cast, which you can find at nathanraven.com. Dom, where can they find you?
0: Well, surprisingly, given the tone so far, I am not going to be at the Moxie Hotel anytime in the near future, except as an attendee of some of the aforementioned podcast recordings. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can find me infrequently on Twitter at D. Suzanne Mayer. I always feel guilty that I don't do it more than I do, but I don't because I, don't, I'm, I have a ambivalent relationship with the internet at best but otherwise you can find my work at consequence of sound uh, probably on tv party again before very long at all And you can also find me on the upcoming season of the Consequence Podcast Network show Filmography, where I will be dissecting the works of Stanley Kubrick in exhaustive detail, probably with these two people, among others. Mm -hmm. Fun
2: fact, I think between, Allison, between you and I, we have three of the five podcasts that Hotel Moxie is doing this
0: opening week, which I think is fantastic.
1: I need to make some different life choices.
2: Yeah, perhaps me too.
0: (laughs) And I need to make more filmography episodes so we can be four out of the five at this table. Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, you can also leave us a review for TV Party or any of the aforementioned podcasts. <laughs> we could use all the help uh, at iTunes, Podchaser, whatever your podcast platform may be. TV Party is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of uh, music, film, and television podcast programming at ConsequenceOfSound.net. Uh,
1: this show is recorded and produced in Chicago, Illinois. A recording engineer, by pun lover and notable bastard, Clint Worthington. I don't know where notable bastard came from.
2: No, but I like it.
1: Pun lover yeah. and person wearing a blue shirt, Clint Worthington. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dom for being here as always. Thanks to Kate for letting us mention her like four times in this podcast, even though she wasn't on this episode. And um, I, I don't know. Thanks to thanks to NBC yes. for resurrecting Brooklyn Nine Nine. Bye. <laughs>